turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me sit. The Christian's Privileges, Part 5. I had no idea that we would spend this long in this text. Let me remind you how we defined privileges when we began nine, ten months ago. Privileges are a special right or an advantage given to a particular person or group. And we laid down something that was fundamentally essential to know and to keep in mind as we considered each of these privileges They are given only to those who come to Christ. Peter lays that down in verse 4. All those who come to Christ, all those who abide in him, remain in him, these are their special rights. These are their advantages. They are given to those in Christ alone and nobody else. And what's even better is they are given freely. They are given unconditionally. They're not earned. They're not merited. They're not yours for being a good Christian, for coming to church and gracing this building with your presence. They're not yours because you come here on time all the time or because you drop a check in the box. And they're not here because you help little ladies get across the street or get their cat out of a tree. Most importantly, you must understand these privileges cannot be attained or found in any avenue, any means, any person, any system outside of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and remaining, abiding in him. So what are the privileges that we have in Christ? Well, verse 5, we began looking at them, and, and the first one was union to Christ. We come to him as a living stone, and he, in turn, makes us living stones like him. And then uh, the second one was he takes those living stones, and he makes a house for for a, a, a holy priesthood. That's access and acceptance to God, because in that house we offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. 
And then the third privilege was security in Christ. Those who come to him, those who trust in him, those who place their faith in him, they will not be disappointed. They won't be shaken. They will not find Christ lacking. They will not find Christ unsatisfactory. They will not find that that Christianity or salvation was some kind of bait and switch. They will not be disappointed. The fourth was affection for Christ. And we saw that as a privilege because it is an affirmation that our faith is genuine, that our repentance is, that our regeneration is genuine because only a heart who, that is regenerated and a faith that comes from that heart produces a love for Christ. And it was a privilege to see that we have been given an affection for the most worthiest person to ever live. Our affection was, would be like a metal detector finding a priceless, precious treasure buried beneath the sands. It, our affection demonstrated that we found the real thing. And then in verse 9, we saw that our fifth privilege was election in Christ and how we were called a chosen race. And how that race, that word race pointed to the fact uh, of, of what our stock is, what our source is, and our source, our selected, our chosen source is God himself. We are born of God. And then in, uh, the sixth privilege is the dominion that we will have with Christ one day. The dominion and the authority in which we will govern the world, even the holy angels. And then today we see the remaining five privileges. And it can be done. We will get through this today. The remaining five privileges separated unto Christ. The first four in verse 9. Separated unto Christ, possession by Christ, proclamation of Christ, illumination in Christ, and then in verse 10, compassion from Christ. So the first we'll look at today is separation unto Christ. And in continuing where we left off last week in verse 9, I'll start at the beginning of verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and now a holy nation. Now, as I stated before, I believe Peter is writing to to Christians who used to be under his pastoral care and because he is constantly reaching back. He's constantly borrowing and quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. And where other authors of the New Testament would, would say something like, the scripture says, or Moses says, or David says, or Isaiah says, Peter just, just makes the reference and it comes across like he's expecting his audience to be able to connect the dots. He, they don't need any explanation uh, where this quote or idea or phrase is coming from. He just... He just lays it down, and then he runs with it. But we are not Jews. We are Gentile. We are the goyim. And it helps to know where Peter is getting these ideas from. He's borrowing them from Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8, and uh, 10, 15, when he calls the church a chosen race, and, a, and, a, uh, and then in Isaiah, uh, Exodus 19, 5 to 6 is, is this... Uh, uh, the, the next three all together in one, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. 
And that, that verse in Exodus says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, did you notice that little conditional clause that sticks out like a sore thumb at the beginning of that verse? Let me read it again. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, is it coming across? If, then. Now, Israel was given a great opportunity. They, they entered this covenant with the maker of heaven and earth. They became God's special people, a unique people from all the peoples of the earth. And the law explained very clearly the conditions, who their God was, what he liked, what he didn't like, especially uh, them, uh, especially that he was a jealous God who didn't like sharing his worship with other gods. And he didn't want his people to go and be like the other people who worshipped those other gods. They were to be, Israel was to be a set-apart people. They were to be a holy people, a people separated unto their God, and they were supposed to be identified by a holy, by, by a distinct culture, a holy and distinct character, because they belonged to a holy and distinct God. Now, this covenant also had some other things to say. It listed the benefits, it listed the consequences for, it listed the benefits for keeping the covenant. It listed the consequences for breaking the covenant. And you can see that in Deuteronomy 28. And as we've gone through the Old Testament survey, we've seen some of those consequences, such as the locust plague in, uh, in Joel. But the greatest penalty for breaking the covenant is that Israel would be scattered from the land and they would cease to be God's people. Moses said it would happen, Deuteronomy 4.27, Deuteronomy 28.64, and the prophets were constantly pointing back to the law, saying judgment is coming. The, the pre-exilic prophet said judgment is coming. Um, the, the prophets during the time of the captivity said judgment has, came, has come, and the post-exilic prophet says judgment came just like God said it would. And when Christ came, Proclaiming the gospel and preaching that the kingdom of God is in your very midst. The people had one last chance to repent and to believe. And what did they do? They rejected the kingdom of God. Why? Because they rejected the kingdom's king. And here's the amazing thing. This, this is absolutely, truly amazing. God sets Israel aside. Her privileges have been forfeited. Not, not indefinitely. Read, read Romans 11 and most of Revelation. Uh, Israel's, Israel is not permanently set aside, but just for the time being. And the kingdom of God is then proclaimed to the Gentiles. To the nations. To all the ethnoi outside Israel. The Gentiles, that's us. And we're given the opportunity to enter into covenant relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. Kind of like Israel, but so much, so much 
greater and better than them. Why? Because our covenant is so much greater, so much better than theirs. They had the Sinaitic or the Mosaic Covenant, you can call it either way, or even the Old Covenant. And that granted blessings and a privileged status, that was what? Conditional. It was conditional upon the obedience of the people, conditioned upon Israel keeping the law. We have a covenant where we are declared justified and we are made righteous by Christ himself. Why and how? Because he fully and completely kept the law. He, is, he was and he is and he always will be fully pleasing to the Father. And guess what? We are in him. Isn't that good? Now, have you noticed that Peter has pulled out the, the, the thesaurus and he's using different words for people to latch each of, our, each of these privileges onto. We are a chosen race, which uh, points to your source or your stock. We are a royal house of priests, uh, a house in the sense that you would think of the, the house of England or the house of David. We are a holy nation. Uh, and then uh, he will say, which we'll look at in a second, that we are a people for God's own possession. So different ways of saying people, each one making a point, each one being latched onto a different privilege. And this one, ethnos, points out a people's culture. What are they like? What, what, what do they do on a day-to-day basis? What is, what is their character like? What do they, what are, what's their flavor? What do they smell like to the world? And some cultures are known for being hard workers and some are known for their refined artistry. Some are known for their philosophical grandeur. Some are known for loving NASCAR. Some are known for their decadence. And the thing is, Israel was supposed to be, and the church now is, known for their holiness. Because we've come to Christ and have union in Him, we have been made the people of God, and we are to be like our God. Which is why Peter said in 1.15, Be holy in all of your behavior. Why? Because it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, does that mean that God expects Christians to be perfect and to never sin and to always be holy in everything we do? I mean, does God get surprised when, when, when we mess up? No, because we're sinners saved by grace and we are declared righteous. Our position is made holy when we are placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. But our practice, our habits, our desires, our doings, they're changed bit by bit, day by day, season by season. And that's why Paul says in Colossians 3, put off the old man. Put off the old man and its practices. Put to death the members of your earthly body and do what you put on the new man, which is being renewed day by day in the image of its creator. Who's its creator? Christ. Your practice as you go through life ought to gradually become more and more holy because you are more, uh, you are gradually resembling the Lord Jesus more and more day by day. Your practice comes into conformity 
It comes to mirror. It comes to reflect your position. And there's still sometimes that we sin. We still fight the battle. But that is the very reason why I glory in the new covenant. That is why I glory in the new covenant. Israel forfeited her privileges because she broke the terms of her covenant with the Lord. But, beloved, you have to get this. Our privileges that we have, they will not, they cannot be forfeited because they are not merited to me. They're not merited to you because of your ability to keep the law. They're given to you on the merit who, uh, because of the merit of the one who kept the law for you. Because of the merit of the one who is, as, as, as it is said twice in the Gospels, is fully pleasing to the Father. Remember he said that, uh, the voice from heaven said that at Jesus' baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I'm glad that I'm in the one who is well pleasing to the Father. Isn't it good to be in Christ? And that's why we preach that men must come to Christ. They must believe in Christ and receive him because nobody pulls themselves up by their bootstraps and does the holiness thing to become one of the people of God. You don't come to Christ and say, look, Jesus, look at how good I've been. Now, now give me eternal life. That conversation already happened. And it didn't go well for the rich young ruler. Scripture says that he left that conversation sad because he rejected the one component necessary for eternal life. That was Jesus Christ himself. Once you are in Christ, your position is holy, and then you become increasingly holy as you repent of your sin, and you learn the ways of Christ, and you love the ways of Christ, and you adopt the ways of Christ and grow in the ways of Christ as you follow Christ. Church, you are a holy nation, separate, separated unto Christ. That's the fifth privilege. The sixth, the second for today, is possession by Christ. Peter continues, a people for God's own possession. Now this word for people is the most generic term for people. Isn't that amazing? People means people. Uh, this is this is laos. It's the word where we get uh, the laity or a, a lay elder. It means the people. And scripture, the, the the way people in this sense gets its power in languages is the way it's joined with other qualifications or, or other modifiers that describe a community's or a nation's function, identity, purpose, even destiny. And, and you often see that when, when it's used uh, when. It says the people of, and then there's some modifier, there's some quality that follows. And we see that right here, don't we? The, the way Peter uses the phrase, we are the people of, of what? what? What is our purpose, our identity, our function? A people for God's own possession. We are to be God's own possession. And Peter borrows this also from Exodus 19:5 to 6 If you indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples. Deuteronomy 
6 says a similar thing, but adds that Israel was to be God's treasured possession. Out of all the peoples of the earth, Israel was to be God's treasured possession. Now, this word possession, it points to something that's owned, possessed, guarded, kept, reserved, or, or preserved. And it's the idea of something that, something that has, a thing that has been brought into your hold, into your ownership, and it's, it's going to stay there for a time. It's not like, a, it's not like a, a, a used car that a lot buys, fixes up, and then puts right back out on the market. It's yours. You're holding on to it. You own it. You're going to keep it. It, it's often used as the object of, of redemption. It, you redeem a possession. And when you redeemed something, it came into your possession, whatever, whatever that was. And whatever was redeemed, whatever came to be possessed, there was a price that had to be paid for it. Christian. I almost want to say you are possessed, but... It doesn't sound right. You are possessed of Christ. You are the the precious possession of the Lord Christ. And a price was paid for that possession. What what was it? Peter has already told us in chapter 1, 18 to 19, where he says, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Paul also says in Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Christian, a price was paid that you would become God's own special treasured possession. And I hope that communicates to you that God loves you. Do you not see that because of his kindness and mercy that he did something that was rather costly to make you his? Justice demanded, it rightfully demanded that something be done, that a price be paid on account of our sinners, because uh, on account of our sin, because we are Sinners, And because God had a predetermined intention to show you kindness, to show you mercy, Jesus Christ became our substitute and he gave his life so that you and I might live. Isn't that good news? And because our sin guilt has been wiped away, because Christ has robed you and because he has robed me, in the close of his righteousness, God can now dis- display us before creation. And remember that even, even the holy angels, are they've been investigating and they've been looking into God's plan of salvation. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 12. Even the angelic hosts are amazed about what God is doing in me and what God is doing in you. And now that we've been wiped clean, in that precious blood of the Lamb, and that we've been polished with the shine of Christ's righteousness. Beloved, you are God's treasured possession that He delights in. 
You are a people that God delights in, not, not because you're special, not because you're so wonderful, not because I'm wonderful, but because you and I are in Christ. And you better believe, you better believe that the Father delights in Christ. God values those who are in Christ too much to let anything happen to them. To, to, he loves them too much to let anything go. He has promised them eternal life. And even Christ himself has promised that he would not lose one that was given to him. You know, the more, the more I, I, I think about it, John 6, uh, 39 and 40 is quickly becoming my fa- one of my favorite passages. He loves you so much that he will let nothing happen to you and he will keep you and he will hold you. He will not lose you and he will most certainly raise you up in the last day because you, you have been given to him and you are in him. Possessed, possession in Christ. The third for today is proclamation of Christ. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Why has God chosen us in Christ? Why has he made us a royal house or a a royal priesthood in Christ? For what end are we separated unto Christ and made a possession of Christ? Peter tells us right here. So that we may proclaim his excellencies. Now, there are, two, there are two interesting words that come up here. Uh, the first is proclaim. This isn't the usual word for preach or proclaim. It, it, this word means to advertise. It can even mean to publish. And it was used when you wanted something that was relatively unknown to become known. And, and what, what is unknown that we are to advertise? Well, what are we to, to publish, as it were? And that's the second word. The excellencies of Christ. The excellencies of Christ. And this word excellencies points to, it it, it would refer to feats, uh, heroic, even noble acts of of people of legend or or people in history. It's the things that people would do for which they would go down in history for, 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 for what they would be known for. Someone's excellencies would be what, what they did that made them famous. And so we are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And I hear you thinking or saying, probably thinking, Aaron, that sounds like work. I don't, want to, I don't want more work. I'm already busy enough as it is. But, beloved, the privilege of proclaiming and advertising the Lord Jesus to your friends, your your family, your neighbor, it, it should not feel like work. It should not feel like toil. I had a job at Staples. And I, I was a salesman. I hate sales. And I was, I was a, what was I, a technology specialist. And it was my job to, you know, when, when, when a little old lady comes in uh, because we had a printer on sale for seventy nine ninety nine. You know, it was my job to try to convince her, no, you, you need the $159 printer. I mean, th- this printer, you know, uh, only prints two pages a minute. This thing, print you could print a book with this in like 30 seconds flat, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it, since, since, since you're going to be printing books now, 
you know, it, it only comes with a starter cartridge. I mean, that thing's going to run out before your forward is even done. And, uh, you know, so you, why don't you get, uh, you know, a couple of replacement uh, toners or ink cartridges and, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to need uh, paper. I mean, you could get a ream, maybe that will, you know, but if you're printing books, why don't you get this box of reams? And, uh, you know, since you're, you, since you're on your way to starting this business, you're going to need a, and you, you already have a warehouse for your printing to store all your books that you're going to sell, you know, why don't you get this 200-foot USB printer cable that's gold-plated? You know, that way the rats won't chew through it, and, you know, it'll protect your... You know. So this lady who came in to buy 80, an $80 printer, she's leaving, like, with a, with a receipt that says 500 bucks. That, I hated doing that. I hated trying to convince someone that they need this product when it's an inferior product, when, 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 it's, when it's something that's too expensive, or really when it's something that is unnecessary for her. You know, I, I think the, the the one occasion I did try to upsell this lady, she wanted to print, like, Christmas cards once a year. You don't need a big printer for that. Anyway. Oh, and you need a warranty. That's like another that's like another 80 bucks. Uh, so I, I, I hated sales. I don't, I don't want to be a salesman. But it's different when you actually know the thing you're advertising has excellence, isn't it? I mean... Do you have to convince anyone to try some of mom's freshly baked cookies? And by the way, happy Mother's Day. Do you have to convince anyone? Here, please, please try some of my mom's just baked cookies. No, you don't have to do that. Or, you know, you don't have to convince anyone that red pepper pizza is the best place to eat incarnation. I mean, I love that, that, that renovated gas station look and and the lights it's just so just come in and take a load off and relax kind of an atmosphere and uh, you know the guys that work there I I smile on their face and they they pointed me straight where that soda fountain is and I can get whatever I want to drink whenever I want to drink and I can drink as much of it as I want to and the pizzas are amazing we had this one with jalapenos on it that just kicked me in the taste buds and did I mention that the breadsticks are free Advertising the excellence of, of someone or something when you personally know and when you have benefited from the excellences of that person makes all the difference. And that's precisely why Peter has been reminding us, all the, uh, reminding us of all the privileges that we have in the Lord. So that we might, in a heart of amazement and in a heart of gratitude, that we might reach out and actually tell people about Jesus. Make known his excellencies. Proclaim his excellencies. And what are his excellencies? Only everything that Peter has mentioned in this book, especially starting at verse 5. Everything that you've been given in Jesus Christ. All these privileges are yours because you are in Christ. And, and, and beloved, this is not an exhaustive list. There are so many more things that could be said about what we get, what the payout for being a believer in Christ is. And Peter's going to give us two more, and that is, that is not exhaustive by any means either, but we just have to be faithful to the text and look at what's in the text. So the, the last two will be illumination, well, the next one will be illumination in Christ. 
he continues, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Scripture uses this imagery of, of darkness and light to draw a distinction between the world and its, its principles, its powers, its rulers, its laws, its ways, and God. It's a very common motif, very common uh, imagery. Uh, Psalm 23 has the valley of, of deep shadow or death's shadow. You know, that's a bad, you know, the, 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 the deep shadow or deep darkness, it's a bad place, it's a scary place, it's an evil place, it's a gloomy place. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 John 2.11, anyone who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he was going because the Darkness has blinded his eyes. Darkness is a rich metaphor for the sphere of this world that you and I were born into, that we were held captive to. Darkness is a metaphor for, for our former sin state that we had before Christ. And while those in this darkness, though they may be doctors, they may be scholars, they may be generals and engineers and presidents, they may do great they, do, they may do a many great and impressive number of feats. They may build impressive edifices to, to uh, express their glory. There is something important that they will not and that they cannot do, and that is to find, follow, and love God. Those in darkness cannot do this because, as John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness. None at all. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. And you know what? That poses a problem for those who are still in the darkness. But beloved, but beloved, the kindness of God was manifested to us when Christ called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. To say that we are called into Christ's light, that's just not, that's not good enough for Peter. Remember, he has that thesaurus handy. And he says, we are called into his marvelous light. It is light that is astonishing. It is captivating. It is enrapturing. It, it takes your breath away. You know what? You, when, usually when we're exposed to something bright, at first it's, it's really bright. It's overpoweringly Bright, but gradually our eyes adjust and we're able to look at it. And it, it appears less bright the more you look at it. I think it's the other way around with being astonished at the light of our Lord. And when I was younger, I, I didn't think there was really that great of a difference, or a, I didn't think there was a great chasm between Christians and the world. I, you know, I, I grew up in the church. And I, and I thought all of all the Christian things we do and all the Christian things we say, we do that because we're Christians and that's what we do. I went to a Christian private school. I went to church every every week. I used, uh, 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 I did Christian things. I used Christian words. Over time, I became more aware of my sin and how much it meant that Christ died for me when I was yet a sinner, when I was an enemy of God, when I was a rebel. And over the years, 
more and more of my friends have left the faith. And you know what? I can see that there is a chasm. I can see that there is a greater difference now as to what it means to be a Christian and what it means to belong to him as opposed to what it means to belong to the world. The longer, the longer that you walk with Christ, the longer you love Christ, the longer you wait for his appearance, the sweeter and the stronger and more stable your faith becomes, the more heinous your sin becomes. And the glory of Christ seems to be more and more and more and more and more glorious, doesn't it not? It's like, it's like walking towards the fire, and the closer you get to the fire, it, 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 it gets hotter, doesn't it? Does that, mean that the higher, that, does that mean that the fire has gotten hotter? No, it just means that you're closer to it, and you can feel its effects more. Beloved, the light of Christ is far more marvelous to me now than it was the day that I was saved. And I pray and hope that all of us will be amazed at how marvelous Christ is and that we will grow in our knowledge and understanding and appreciation for his marvelous light. You have been illuminated by the light of Christ. And the last passage, the last privilege that Peter has for us is found in verse 10. Woohoo, we got to verse 10. All right. Only take two, only took two sermons. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, he, Peter shifts. I said, he, I said he's borrowing and he's, he's quoting from the Old Testament left and right. He, he's, uh, first, he went to Deuteronomy and then Exodus 19, 5 to 6. And now he, he goes to Hosea 1, 6 to 10. And in that context, there was coming a time when God's patience with Israel, it was going to run out. We've seen that in our, in our equip hour, haven't we? God's patience with Israel was going to run out. And when God brought the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., with Israel, it ran out. About 100, 150 years later, the same thing happened with the Babylonians and, and the southern kingdom. And God says this for Israel that it wouldn't be the end. He says in Hosea 1.10, In the places where it was said, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are sons of the living God. So they had ceased to become his people, but God said that's not going to be the end. There will be a time where, where you will uh, become my people again. And that promise still holds for the Jews. Again, re- look at Revelation 11, or Romans 11. Read Revelation it's very clear that, that all that is required for Israel to be brought back into covenant relationship with the Lord is to receive the Lord, to receive their king. And when they do, they will receive God's mercy. But guess what is certain for those who now receive Christ? What do we receive right now from Christ? His mercy. His mercy. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We were once 
belonging to a faceless mass of humanity living a meager, brief flicker of an existence outside of the covenant relationship with God. That, that's what the Gentiles, that's what the ethnoi are depicted as outside uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, outside of covenant uh, relationship with God. They are those outside of the knowledge of God. And we lived nothing but a bitter, vain pattern of working only to survive, only to put food on the table the next day. And at some point, we're going to die and we're, we were going to lose everything we had accumulated in our life. That, that, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. Nothing, nothing lasts. If, all, if, if your only perspective of life is life under the sun, all is vanity. Better to be in the sun than to have life under the sun. We had no ultimate hope. We had no ultimate purpose. We had nothing to find true comfort or strength in. We were pitiable in this state. And then, guess what? God showed us mercy and he made us the people of God. Now, mercy can be translated pity. It can be compassion. And, and it really, it, what, what it is, is it's sympathy in action. God's mercy is seen towards sinners in view of his taking notice of their misery. And he, guess what? He does something about it. It's also seen in his withholding of punishment. And there's a degree to which God's mercy is shown to all Mankind, we call that common grace. He causes his sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Matthew 5.45. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his work, Psalm 145.9. And yet, we're talking about privileges. We're talking about special advantages, distinct advantages that are only given to those who are in Christ. And how has the believer received mercy? Everyone should be able to answer that. How about being spared the due consequences of your sin? How about being born again to a living hope? How about the heavenly inheritance that we have been promised? How about the affirmation that our faith is true, the salvation of our souls, the grace that will be given to us at the appearing of our Lord? What about our redemption? Now, I've just summarized the things to you that Peter has said in the first chapter of his book. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, it is not exhaustive of all the mercies that we have received from the Lord. Has Christ given us mercy? Absolutely. And is it good? Oh, yeah. So much more to say that could be said about Christ's mercy, our great Savior who keeps us, our high priest who intercedes for us, our good shepherd who strengthens and shepherds and guides us, purifies us. It's he who has secured our salvation, and guess what? It is he who will be our salvation in the day that he comes back. Isn't it good to be in the Lord? We've looked at our union to Christ, our access and acceptance in Christ, our security in Christ, our affection for Christ, our election in Christ, our dominion in Christ, and that we are separated unto Christ, we are possessed by Christ, 
We proclaim Christ. We are illuminated in Christ. And we are shown compassion or mercy from Christ. Beloved, it is so good to be in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being exactly and precisely who your word says that you are. Lord, we, we don't have to be creative. We don't have to make stuff up to make you sound good. We just have to read what your word says about you. We just have to read what your word says that you have done for us on our behalf. What a good God we have. Help us to grow in our, in our understanding of these things. Help, us, help every believer here know the reality that these privileges, they belong to them. They don't have them any more or any less than the next guy. Let every believer be encouraged and rejoice in these truths. And anyone who does not know the Lord, anyone who is, who is still yet outside of Christ, let him see your beauty. Let him see your, your excellencies. Let him see your marvelous light. And call him to yourself and let him hear let, let him receive that call and let him hear and, and come to you and abide in you. Amen.